Happy Friday and welcome back to The Human Exception. This week, I'll be telling you all about a 2005 pandemic that took the world of Azeroth by storm. And Nathan will tell us all about the mysterious affliction known as sleep paralysis. Get ready for some foul language as we explore another human exception. Oh, man. <laughs> what you got? <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Okay. Something for a little... Time for something a little more serious. <laughs> oh, go, thank God. Okay, good. All right. It was September 13th, 2005, when the disease first began to spread, hopping from animal hosts into their owners, and from there into shopkeeps and other civilians. It came out of nowhere. No one could have expected something like this, that simply was no precedent. The disease was known to appear deep in the jungles of the Vale, places where few mortal men dare to tread, but when it began to appear on entirely different continents, the world knew that it wasn't just some curse inflicted on those who dared tempt the wrath of the forgotten blood god. It was a pandemic. From Ironforge to Ogamar, the nations of the Horde and the Alliance would face this global threat in what is now known as the Corrupted Blood Incident. So yeah, we're talking about World of Warcraft. I had to... <laughs> I had to mute my mic because I was laughing. <laughs> so yeah, uh, in 2005, World of Warcraft had two million, over 2 million subscribers logging in to smite Murlocs and fight great evils together. Even if its popularity has fail- faded today, 15 years later, it's still going strong at 5 million subscribers. Jeez. I've peaked at like 14 million or something in like 2010. Oh my <laughs> yeah, they, God. Yeah, they had... Crazy amounts for a long time. It's going down, but they're still steady. They're still making bank. Jeez. So yeah, it will likely continue to be a fixture in the gaming world for a long time to come. Even though this game originally came out in 2005, they've done tons of upgrades. As the, like they've done like complete graphic overhauls and stuff with uh, expansions. And as the years have gone on, like the the game now looks completely different than when it did when it first came wow. out. Um, so what happened? Well, I wasn't lying. There was a pandemic. It did travel the globe of Azeroth and it infected player and NPC alike. But where did it come from? So September 13th was a Tuesday. And anyone that has drank from the Blizzard Kool-Aid of Warcrack knows that Tuesdays are patch days and that's when new content is added. This patch day, Blizzard released a brand new raid called Zulgarub. Raids are what you did when you maxed out the level of your character and had time to burn. Guilds, which are a group of players, would form balanced teams to tackle these raids and fight the multitude of bosses inside for a shot of the best gear in the game, and then do it all again the following week. It took determination, coordination, and time. So much fucking time. Um, Hallie, prior to COVID, when was the last time you got a couple people to get together for something? Oh, prior. Oh, so prior to like March 2020, yeah, um, a full year ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fuck. Oh, uh, like January that year. Yeah, and like how many people did you get together? Uh, four. So, how about trying to imagine getting twenty people online at the same time, all skilled <laughs> and geared enough to be worthy of the spot, and willing to show up multiple nights a week for hours at a time? <laughs> no. 
And this was actually a, <laughs> this was actually a nice change because the previous raids required forty players. What? Yeah. Huh. Huh. And like this is a time in gaming where there wasn't like oh group finders and you know right. just general global chat or anything like you go if you didn't have a guild and you wanted to go on a raid you'd have to go stand in a major city and just yell for hours and hope somebody needed needed an extra body oh my god <laughs> otherwise you had to work yourself into a guild you had to carry your weight you had to you know be able to afford all your repairs and be able to get all your potions and all the everything that you needed for the raid all the time be there regularly because taking down a raid was like often could be often be like months of commitment as you're working through each boss each week <laughs> and Holy you shit. have to continually show up to be able to um usually what they we, there was many different ways of getting loot but usually according to if you showed up and different things you did you earned points within the guild to then you can use to buy the gear essentially <laughs> mm, okay so if you okay. wanted the best gear you were with 40 other people wow. and the boss dropped maybe five things <laughs> i know was... nothing about wow so this is insane <laughs> i spent a couple years doing this <laughs> <laughs> i wasn't playing during this time but it was not long after that i was hot damn so, all right yeah the regrets of my wasted youth aside, um, a new <laughs> raid was always exciting, and guilds often prepared for weeks before a patch, and they just want to rush in and try to be the first to beat it to earn themselves the elusive world-first achievement. So while the game exists on multiple servers, like at this point, I think there's like 40 of them. Um, there only used to be a couple originally, but like whatever guild managed to beat the raid first on your server would get this achievement well first sometimes there are special mounts that came with that but like it's a title that you you then get like there's on your server you can there's a world first person who did this raid first and that's always going to be the case micro gamification that's important. oh my god and this is before like real achievements were like introduced like right. there's a whole thing now the achievement system is fucking ridiculous <laughs> um, anyways, so this enthusiasm is what made pat that patch day also become the first day of the infection. So within hours of the patch going live, infection had spread across entire cities. The underground dwarven city of the Ironforge and the orc city of Orgrimmar were the primary gathering hubs of the Alliance and the Horde. It was not uncommon to see hundreds of players just hanging out in these cities, waiting to meet up with friends, crafting, using the auction house, or just AFKing. And the corrupted blood cut through all of them like wildfire. So how does a raid on the southernmost corner of nowhere spread disease to cities continents away? It was all thanks to man's best friend or demonic familiar. <laughs> so the final boss of the raid was Hakar the Slow Soul Flayer, um, which was an ancient troll god that was uh, pretty terrible. And this, gold ha this god had previously been killed. Like the trolls would raise it up again and manage to kill him, but now there's a bunch of great troll zealots that are trying to resurrect him and that is kind of the story of this dungeon oh, okay so during the raid um he would like if you managed to get to him as the last boss and there was probably close to like a dozen bosses in this raid originally a bunch of them were optional but you managed to get this fucker um and then he would spend the time the the, the combat scene stealing your life um you drive players insane which would take control of their characters and make them attack their friends oh wow. and Curse them with Bane of Corrupted Blood, a debuff that oh. would slowly eat away at your life. And oh, 
pass itself on to anybody in proximity. Oh my god. So the effect itself only lasted 10 seconds and not nearly enough time for someone to make the Argus run out of the raid to a town nearby or even to Hearth, which was a you had you could set your home at an inn anywhere and you could just use your stone the stone to like use cast a spell and head home essentially. So I'm gonna show you a car. Oh, hot damn. So I, I love Hakar. Um, troll was always my favorite race in WoW, and the troll lore is just amazing, and Hakar is just a fucking badass. Um, for you guys who don't know what he looks like, obviously I'll put pictures on the website, but he's essentially a snake with bladed arms and wings. <laughs> Very, like, Aztec in design. And this is what he looked like in the game. <laughs> <laughs> Art, meat, pixels. Me 2005. Um, <laughs> yep, yep, yep. The art is dope, though. Like, yeah, dang, deals 200 damage every time. Yeah, so that was the debuff that you would see. You'd get this like little exploding guy's face on you in the corner as your debuff to <laughs> show you that you've got this. And yeah, 200 damage every two seconds, lasting for 10 seconds. Holy shit. So yeah, if you catch this, it's like 10 seconds. So you don't have time to like run out and get back to a city or something. Like if you're trying to go from this raid all the way to a major city, it's like you have to run outside of the raid, which includes going through like a load screen. You then have to run to this town that's probably about a five minute run away. And then there's this like Zeppelin hub where Zeppelins will come around every couple minutes. You wait for one of the Zeppelins to show up and hopefully it's the one you want and you get on it and then you can go to one of the cities <laughs> and it's like so there's no fast way to get into any of the major cities from here like it's it, there's a whole like thing about making sure that you're getting there. like part of raid time is also making sure you set aside the 15 minutes ahead of time to get to the raid Holy so that you can be God. there on time wow yeah getting around in wow back in those days was a long time <laughs> it was you yeah you just go up light point and just walk away for like 10 minutes just because yeah. you're going across the entire continent Things have improved so much, so much. <laughs> Anyways, uh, so yeah, like, how does this happen? Well, classes like hunters and warlocks have pets, and pets, like players, can be infected with corrupted blood, but pets can be desummoned, like tucking them away into your pocket. And typically, if anything is going on with them, your pets will just reset when you put them in your pocket. But somehow that logic didn't include the corrupted blood debuff. So if a player's pet did get infected and they did desummon them before the effect ended, the next time the player would pull out their pet, the pet would still be infected and would immediately begin infecting players and pets within range. Now, it's one thing if you summoned your pet while doing quests alone in the middle of nowhere, the infection would die out pretty quickly, whatever. But if this were to occur in areas where large number of players were congregating, well, it could quickly turn into a disaster, and which is exactly what happened. <laughs> So the first outbreaks were probably purely accidental, um, but as the word spread, spread, there are those that saw an opportunity for shenanigans. Soon the infection spread, whether it be accidental or intentional, instantly killing lower level players or transferring from higher level players as they tried to escape. This event would change gameplay for that week in an unprecedented way. Um, but it wasn't just the infected player, players to be feared. The infection also spread to NPCs who didn't die from it. Oh, but became asymptomatic carriers, which would then infect play other players and NPCs. 
Since raiding required so much dedication and skill, getting to the last boss of a brand new raid wasn't something that anyone could do. There likely was only a handful of guilds that were able to accomplish that on day one, which meant unless you were obsessively reading, ra reading raiding and dungeon guides, the average player likely knew absolutely nothing about what Corrupted Blood was, <laughs> which was probably true of some 95% of the players. So suddenly players were dying in cities and depending on your level and your gear, it could happen in an instant and you wouldn't even know why. Oh my god. So you'd make the run back to your body to resurrect. Still baffled about what the fuck had just occurred, you notice now that there's bodies that are scattered everywhere. And as you enter back into your physical, physical form, you realize now that something's happening and then you're hit again. So you're reading the general chat, and among the Chuck Norris jokes and the trolls, people were desperately trying to find out what was happening. Well-meaning players were urging others to run. So you get back to your body, but now there's a death timer preventing you from resurrecting again right away. So you wait, watching in your spirit form as players all around you continue to fall and spam dance emojis. You get back into your body, and you start booking it toward the entrance, but you're a new player. You haven't quite figured out the layout of the city yet, and you only get a couple steps before you're reinfected and collapse again. On the right side of your screen, you see this little armored mannequin pop up, indicating with yellow and red that your gear is now damaged from dying. So you make the body run, and now you have to wait three minutes before you can come back to life. You spend this time looking at the city map and trying desperately to understand your situation. You get your chance, you get back into your body, and you manage to avoid infection for a couple beats, making some good strides toward the entrance. You don't see any players ahead of you. You might be scot-free, but you're afflicted again, and as you collapse, you see a city guard walk by. <laughs> this continues, the death timer maxing out at six minutes, and as your gear all turns red, rendering it useless, your health and stats drop, making death all the quicker, with each piece crumbling to nothing. You either give up and log off, or after countless attempts, finally break free of the city limits, and you run and off into the wilderness, putting as much distance between you and the city as you can. You think you have escaped it, and you stop in a small town to repair your decimated gear. But you see the players have begun to congregate in this normally empty town. And as you talk to the blacksmith, you see now the familiar bloody icon indicating that you have been infected and you fall again. Oh my god! Oh my god. So this was very likely what those first few days were like for the grand majority of the players. Players began to avoid normal congregation spots like cities and towns, evacuating them entirely, leaving only the NPCs and the player corpses, and to instead seek more desolate corners of the world. While the programmers tried to impose like, quarantines and stopgap measures until a permanent solution could be implemented. Blizzard attempted to institute voluntary quarantine to stem the disease, but it failed, as some players just didn't take it seriously, and while others took advantage of the pandemonium. This is fucked up. <laughs> oh, yeah. I got some pictures for you here. Oh my god. Too close. Too close. So, this is a picture from Ironforge, the dwar uh, dwarven city. Um, this person you can see, they got um, their mouse hovering over their debuff that says that they have corrupted blood. Mm -hmm. So, and then you see someone just yelling, What the fuck? <laughs> yeah. And this is an example of wow. Orgrimmar, the Orc City. Oh. When you die, oh, um, your your player's body, like your character's body, stays on the ground until you resurrect again, and it leaves behind some bones for some time. So what we're seeing right now is pretty much the streets that are pretty much cobbled with bones because so many players have died yeah. repeatedly. Holy shit! Wow. Literally, wow. Yeah. That 
that's oh god that's morbid oh man so some play, some players simply stopped playing to avoid the hassle and the cost of repeated deaths while dying oh. is not permanent in world of warcraft it can get really costly really quickly if you have any amount of higher level gear especially in this era of the game when a single death could cost you up to one gold in gear repair gear repairs and you only had 50 gold if you were rich <laughs> you can see how this would be problematic so, sure, the better gear players had a much better chance of survival, but if you can't escape infection, it doesn't matter how much health and gear you have, you eventually will die. The difficulty of killing slash reaching Hakkar likely played a big factor in the spread of the infection. Some gaming servers were, are more oriented to different certain playstyles, like some of them RP, and some are just, like, super chill, some are focused on PvP, um, with several of the top rating guilds usually play on the same servers. The three servers in total were experienced a full-blown pandemic but it's likely that other servers experience a much less dramatic content contamination. Now, before Blizzard commented on the outbreak, there was debates going on in the forum as to whether or not this was a glitch or it was actually intentional and part of a world event. Some saying that this is the best world event that Blizzard ever released, but really it was completely unintentional. Jeez. The plague eventually ended on October 8th, 2005, when Blizzard made pets immune to the infectious disease. See, you would think that would just make sense. Yeah. <laughs> How many times uh, did they try to fix it before that? Well, it started on September 13th, and they didn't fix it until October 8th. Okay. So they didn't yeah. make any, like, real attempt? Well, they were trying a bunch of different things. Um, they tried, Like, they tried to do voluntary quarantines and things. It just wasn't right. working. So I don't cord. know why it was so difficult. I don't know nothing about coding games. But, yeah, they, it, it, yeah, they weren't able to do anything until October 8th. Permanently, anyways. Gotcha. Okay. Um, Jeffrey Kaplan, he was a game designer for WoW, stated that it gave them ideas for possible real events in the future. But it was uh. also a potent reminder of how quickly something so small could spiral completely out of control. Huh? Brian Martin was an independent security consultant for World of Warcraft, and he commented that in, in he commented that it presented an in-game dynamic that was not expected by players or Blizzard developers, and that it reminds people that even in controlled online atmospheres, unexpected consequences can occur. He also compared it to a computer virus, saying that it, while it's not serious, it also reminds people of the impact computer code can have on them, and they're not always safe, regardless of the precautions they take. In October, in October 2008, a throwback was made when a zombie plague broke out for a week as a promotion for the new expansion, Wrath of the Lich King, which is if you don't know anything with Lich King, he's pretty much, yeah, he's the king of the undead. So it made sense. Um, this event was very likely inspired by Corrupted Blood, but unlike that incident, the plague was a little better balanced. It was far less contagious, where Corrupted Blood had 100% transmission rate. This plague was quite lower. And when a player was infected, if they weren't cured, they'd eventually turn into a zombie and give them the abilities to wreak havoc and attack other players. But ultimately, short-lived, lasting only a couple minutes before your character died and you could then come back as a normal player again. So this meant this meant encountering one or two zombies was not a big deal. They didn't have that much health. Like if you were a max level player, you could easily kill them. But being overcome with a horde became came with much higher risks of infection. But unlike corrupted blood, many of the healing classes were able to cure the infected. the The event received mixed reactions, much like everything every change that WoW has ever made. Um, some lauding <laughs> with praise, and while well, others criticized it, I personally enjoyed it because I was playing at the time. It was a lot of fun. I, of course, had heard about Corrupted Blood by this point, and I also <laughs> want to try and reproduce it, but it was really difficult to do anything like that. 
2018, the online card game Hearthstone paid homage to the corrupted blood incident. So a card was released uh, for Hakar, who could spread a car, the card Corrupted Blood into yours and your opponent's decks. Whenever the card could get drawn, then the player would then take damage and then shuffle two more copies back into their decks. I'll show you a picture. Oh, okay. Yeah, so her stuff's like Magic the Gathering, but made by Blizzard, and it's an online right. card game. <laughs> um. And then in 2019, as part of a special event, Hearthstone released a new card back called The Mark of Hakar. This would replace the backs of all your cards in an an with an animated version rem reminiscent of the old Blood God. And how did players get it? Well, they simply had to play against the player that was using it. Here's a picture of that. It's a pretty cool looking card back. Oh, that's what that is. Yeah, I think I have that one. <laughs> oh, so you do play Hearthstone? Yeah, I do. I do play it. Oh, I did for a while. Um, but I think, yeah, I think I have that card. I just didn't know what it was for. <laughs> yeah, so um, it was released on February 5th, and the card back had infected 87% of the player base within 24-hour period, with one player even passing on the mark 63 times in that period. Only 200 players were, were given the card back to begin with. Wow. Here is like a timeline of the infection. Holy shit. As soon as you got infected with this card back, it would only switch your cards to have that back. So, And okay. all you had to do was play a game with somebody else who didn't have it, and they could get infected and oh, wow. then get it. That's, that's bananas. Look at that. Jeez. Right? Gosh. All right. So... Doo -doo -doo -doo. Nothing like this has had happened before, and it created the perfect environment to observe human behavior in the midst of a simulated world pandemic. So naturally, it attracted the attention of epidemiologists, eager to see what they could learn from such event. Many scoffed at this, saying, how could a video game provide any meaningful data to study a real-world pandemic? There's no way that people would behave the same way in a virtual environment as they would in real life. But surprisingly, player response did resemble real-world behaviors. Some characters with healing abilities volunteered their services to try and help people at their own risk. And lower-level characters who couldn't help stood outside infection zones and directed people away. And some would just flee, not caring about anyone else but their own survival. And of course, there were the griefers. Those that thrived on the chaos and focused on only making things worse. Over the years, a variety of studies have been performed based on this data and information from this incident. And here are some of them. In March 2007, Rand D. Belaser, who was an epidemiologist physician of the Ben-Gurion University of the Negev in Israel, published a paper noting the similarities between the event and the then-recent SARS and avian flu outbreaks. In it, he suggests that RPGs could serve as an advanced platform for modeling of infectious diseases. He later suggests that the game, like Second Life, was another possible candidate for these studies. Ballester said that the impact of the teleportation in World of Warcraft was similar to the role of air travel in the rapid global spread of severe accurate respiratory syndrome SARS. And while the havoc wrought, wrought by the infected pets echoed the part played by early asymptomatic <laughs> while the <laughs> havoc wrought by infected pets echoed the part played by asymptomatic ducks in spreading the avian flu among bird populations. So the Center for Disease Control and Prevention contacted Blizzard for any data or statistics that they could provide on the epidemic, which Blizzard admitted they had very little on due to the fact it was a glitch. So turns out um, there's a conference that happens in Baltimore <laughs> called the Games for Health Conference. Things I did not know. Oh. Yeah. 
video games, medicine, it's great. Um, <laughs> the corrupted blood incident has been cited as a fascinating study of human behavior and can be co compared quite easily to real life pandemic in that it originated in a remote, uninhabited region and it was carried by travelers to larger regions, hosts with both human and animal, comparing it to the avian flu and was passed through close contact. And there were people who could con contract it and be asymptomatic, which is the NPCs. But there are elements that aren't realistic, uh, such as the players being able to see when they've been affected and the effect of the virus was the same for everyone. One aspect of the epidemic that researchers hadn't previously considered was human curiosity. Some players would rush into an infected area just to witness the infection and then rush back out. This was paralleled to real world behavior, especially when you consider things like journalists who cover an incident and, they, and then they leave. So like war journalists running in, running out. So this 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 was brought up in this games conference a couple times over the last couple of years, huh? So I hadn't thought about the journalist angle of that. Yeah. Uh, so August two thousand seven, Nina Pfefferman, she was an assistant research professor, professor, professor of public health and family medicine at the Tufts University. She co-authored a paper with Eric Lofkin, a graduate student from the University of North Carolina, and which is called the in the Lancet Infectious Disease, which is kind of like an online um, newspaper or magazine discussing epidemiology, god damn it, discussing the epidemiological and disease modeling implications of this outbreak. Mm. She spoke about the incident at the Games, of, Games for Health conferences in 2008 and 2011, and how massively multiplayer online games could solve the problems that were inherent with most traditional model of models that they use in epidemics. The three base models that are used have their strengths and their weaknesses, but they make significant significant behavioral assumptions. She also compared corrupted blood to a drug trial, drug trial with mice, and she's like, this is a real good first step. She spoke of ways that this model could help push research further, how different diseases with varying attributes, effects, and lethality could be monitored to see how players reacted, how rumors spread, and how awareness would disseminate through the player base. Blizzard had published notices during the outbreak, but she pointed out that they kept changing their position and the information was only useful if the players actually saw it. Many players didn't know what was happening until it was too late. And there's plenty of discussion happening on the Blizzard forums, but like only a small percentage of people who play Blizzard games actually go on the forums. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, she believes that these kind of experiments in games like World of Warcraft could be a huge benefit to researchers and that they could be done in such a way as to not interrupt gameplay and that it could even be fun if developers and researchers work together. And initially, Blizzard seemed really excited about this idea, but their interest slowly waned. While they never outright rejected the idea, nothing ever really came from it. Hmm. Dr. Pfefferman has been in contact with other game developers, though, in hopes of conducting similar simulations in other games. Blizzard has maintained a position that World of Warcraft is first and foremost a game, and that it was never designed to mirror reality or anything in the real world. Neil Ferguson, director of the MRC Center for Global Infectious Diseases Analysis and Imperial College of London, it was very skeptical of the idea, saying that such a study wouldn't properly mimic genuine behavior as the risk was so low in the game. Even if the characters died, they could just come back, thus limiting the usefulness of the studies. And Something else that came out of this that was really random was a model for terrorism research. <laughs> Charles Blair was a deputy director of the Center of Terrorism and the Intelligence Studies that took, took something else away from this incident. He believed that WoW could be used to study how terrorist cells form and operate. His organization already used computer, computer mod models to study terrorist acts. And the use of the environment like WoW provided much better feedback in regards to human behavior and in a controlled environment. 
So like people who wanted to cause chaos very likely banded together and formed groups or communicated in other ways to like or organize like strikes and attacks. Holy shit. And well, let's get closer to home. <laughs> the <laughs> elephant <year>. in the room. <laughs> yeah. So last year, interest in the corrupted blood incident made a surprise comeback. The epidemiologists who studied the original outbreak began to use the research that they had done to better understand the spread of COVID, particularly the sociological factors. Dr. Eric Lofgren, who had worked with Nina Pfefferman on the paper in 2007, made this comment to PC Gamer. When people react to public health emergencies, how those reactions really shape the course of things. We often view epidemics as these things that sort of just happen to people. There's a virus and it's doing things. But really, it's a virus that's spreading between people and how people interact and behave comply with and how they comply with authority factors or don't. Those are all very important things. And also these things are very chaotic. You can't really predict, oh yeah, everyone will, qu will quarantine. It's totally fine. No, they won't. Yeah. One of the aspects that many researchers had dismissed from this event was griefing. Behaviors by players intended to cause chaos, like intentionally spreading corrupted bloods to others. Researchers just couldn't see a real-world basis for such behavior. But according to Dr. Lofgren, one of the critiques that we got from a lot of people, both gamers and scientists, was yet over the idea of griefing. How griefing isn't really analogous to anything that would happen to happen to take place in the real world. People aren't intentionally getting people sick, and they may not be intentionally getting people sick, but willfully, willfully willfully ignoring your potential to get people sick is pretty close to that. You start to see people like, oh, this isn't a big deal. I'm not going to change my behavior. Epidemics are a social problem. Minimizing the seriousness of something is sort of real world griefing. If you think again in gaming terms, we're making saving throws against new emerging diseases all the time. And sometimes you fail. We have epidemics occur with some degree of frequency. It's sort of like people people getting rid of people who predict earthquakes because you haven't had an earthquake in a while. Well, you're going to have another one. Yeah. And then Nina Pfefferman, who also worked the paper with him, she also is working on the epidemic. Uh, she expressed that the incident particularly exemplified how people perceive threats and how differences in that perception can change how they behave. And how people discuss a threat on social media, stating that a lot of my work since has been trying to build models of the social constru construction of risk perception. I don't think I would have come this far or as easily if I hadn't spent that time thinking about the discussions WoW players had in real time about the corrupted blood incident and how to act in the game based on the understanding they built from those discussions. The equivalent of WoW players chatting about how to deal with the virus is now playing out across social media with COVID-19. She says that all her current work focuses on how the small decisions from individuals can lead to big changes for entire populations. She's studying how the age of patients and how they're tested is impacting our understanding of COVID-19 and is how it's progressing. Wow. So it's helping. Like two of the people that spent yeah. a lot of time researching this are helping research COVID since the outbreak. And they're that saying just... that, that, that research helped them come to a better understanding. Wow. That is so, so fascinating. And here are the pictures of our heroes there. Hey. Yay. Awesome. Yeah, so, like, I originally, like, I've always wanted to do this topic just because I thought it was absolutely fascinating. The fact that, you know, we did get epidemiologists that were interested into it. So I was like, we started talking medicine. I was like, <laughs> one of the first things that came to my mind. I... And then to find out that it was actually relevant. <laughs> it was pretty... A little too relevant. <laughs> <laughs> right? Too close to home. Oh God! But it does. No, it, it, no, it makes people sense. would totally quarantine. People totally. Mm -hmm. 
yeah. Uh. <laughs> this makes so much sense. Because, yeah, like, we don't think of people's behavior because you always think that a person's first instinct is going to be self-preservation. But we're in a world where people think the world's flat and, you know, vaccines will give their children autism. Right. There's, there's, yeah. not, there's not logic for some of these things. Not logic and plenty of self-delusion. Yeah. So, yeah, games helping out with the real world. Hey! <laughs> Your dad said you'd never amount to anything if you just played right. games. <laughs> those video games, those are time wasters. Hey. It does really bring up a lot of interesting things with like massive population, like online games, like WoW and stuff. Is and what's the ones that kind of emulate society in some way of how these things would spread, and just like the conversations as well, like. If you don't know what's going on, you're just talking to other people and you're collecting stories from other people and trying to build a picture of what's happening. What, how wrong can you get it if you don't have all the right information? Right. It's like a really bad game of telephone. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that's what I got. <laughs> hey, we did it. We did it. We did it. Nathan's got a really interesting one too. That's probably gonna. Yeah, it's, it's locked curious. right into the combination of weird. But also, what the fuck? Because <laughs> brains right, well, are weird. Brains are weird. All right. Well, that's that's it for this part of the recording. We'll see you guys when we talk to Nathan. Heck yeah. Fuck. Yeah, last February. Jesus. <laughs> I know. Yep. <laughs> We're coming up on a year now. <laughs> yeah. Hey, guys. Listeners, friends, have you also been in quarantine for a year? Because <laughs> we have. It feels longer some days. It what does. is happening? What is happening? I, I don't know. <laughs> the, the, the energy is down. <laughs> the, 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 the <laughs> I'm just going to lull you guys into. Oh, don't. Don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> just talk softly this whole time. Because oh we're God. talking about sleep paralysis. <laughs> I don't know if I can keep this voice going for the Please whole time. Don't do it. Don't. <laughs> I, I won't. I won't last. But like, George <laughs> got me doing my raspy cough. Please don't, don't do it. <laughs> oh fuck. <laughs> <laughs> oh great another nightmare topic that we get to <laughs> no one have really bad dreams okay please don't <laughs> I'm so sorry <laughs> <laughs> so today's topic is sleep paralysis um it's kind of a, like the idea of it is obviously terrifying I've never experienced it myself uh and if I have i don't remember which would probably be a blessing i've, I've yeah. experienced it once what that was not fun <laughs> oh god no i could so, probably tell you guys about it after nathan this is the i was <laughs> like oh no yeah because my only reference my only frame of reference is how it's portrayed in the media which i'm sure is not accurate but the one that scared the shit out of me was the one in the haunting a hill house so fair uh, so, 
let's I guess let's sort of give a description of it um, based on what we know of sleep paralysis. It is basically when you wake up and you have no control over your body for a set period of time. Um, you're awake, you're alert, but you cannot move. And thus, the term sleep paralysis. It's one of those things that um, your body basically continues to be in a state of paralysis as you wake up. Now, the idea of paralysis while you sleep is actually a natural thing. Um, when you... Uh, I don't know if you if you guys are sort of familiar with the idea of like your body going through sleep cycles. And when you first go to sleep, you kind of have that first bit of your body's kind of settling down, and then eventually you kind of get into that um, that Losing deeper your yes, your <laughs> REM uh, cycle. So your oh random God. eye movements. Throw that um, entire joke out the window. Just get rid of it. <laughs> I had to. I had to. I I just kept on going. Just <laughs> you went on. with it. You got That's, it. It was good. Um. So yeah, the basically your REM sleep is when you have hit that state of like deep sleep. That's where your um, mind starts kind of processing what ha has happened in your day. When you start having your dreams, uh, a lot of where your like transference from your short-term memory to your long-term memory starts to happen as well, like in in big chunks. Um, but also, as a protection for you yourself, when you're dreaming. Essentially, your brain disconnects from your body, putting in you into a state of paralysis. Um, and so this is a natural thing to essentially keep you from getting up in the middle of the night and basically reenacting your dreams as you are seeing them in your head. So like people who sleepwalk, they just not have this like off switch or something? <laughs> Uh, that's a, that's actually an interesting question because I, I was thinking about this, uh, today when I was kind of doing a little bit of more, a little bit more research and some of the symptoms or some of the things that can trigger sleep paralysis can also trigger sleepwalking. <laughs> so... Uh, I will get into that a little bit later, I guess. Um, but it was originally, so the whole sleep paralysis thing has a bit of folklore, uh, associated with it. Um, some ghosts and goblins and witches kind of situation. So I'm going to go into that. I'm going to go into the mythology and then we will end this off with a little more of the uh, stuff that is rooted in science. 
I tried to think of something clever to say, but I got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> um, so <clears throat> there is this term uh, that is often used. It is uh, it is called the night hag. And in some cultures, uh, actually, especially in uh, areas like in Newfoundland, here in Canada, in South Carolina, and in Georgia, um, the term the old hag or the night hag is used as sort of like the supernatural creature uh, that causes sleep paralysis. I have never heard that before. Uh, so basically what it is, is it is a um, a woman who uh, basically like the uh, the negative figure of this person, uh, basically the negativity of this person who leaves a body at the middle in the middle of the night and basically sits on the chest of their victim. I have heard of this. Yes, it's horrifying. <laughs> yeah, I've heard so that, that. I just hadn't heard the name Nighthag before. That's ugh. Yeah, yeah that's that, that. This makes it so worse. <laughs> so the idea is is that this uh, this hag or this person is coming in and like restricting your movement or your breathing or whatever. Um, and it, it's it's all sort of um. It's basically based on the phenomenon that it feels like a person or a supernatural presence, malevolent presence, is holding you down and preventing you from moving or breathing or whatever. Uh, and so that... <laughs> God, cats. Um, yep. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there are a lot of different ones. And... So uh I've got a I've got a lot of different ones here. They all sort of intersect in different kind of ways. Um but in Scandinavian folk folklore, uh sleep paralysis is caused by a mare. Uh it is a creature that is related to sort of like uh the incubi or the succubi. Um it is a damned woman who is cursed. Uh her body is carried mysteriously during sleep and without her noticing. Um, and while she is in this state, she visits villagers and sits on their rib cages while they're asleep. And they experience nightmares as well. Oh, no. Yeah, I've heard of the succubi, like incubi one before. But yeah, just old woman. Do not like. Yeah, no. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. Um. In Fiji, the experience is referred to as Kana Tavaro, uh, and it is what they consider to be eaten by a demon. Uh, Holy shit. <laughs> oh my so god. <laughs> in, uh, in a lot of cases, they consider the demon to be maybe a spirit of a recently dead relative who's come back for unfinished business or to communicate something important. By sitting on your chest. 
Yeah. Apparently. I saw grandma. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. No, she was at the foot of my bed. No. Mm-mm. Nope. This nope. is the real reason you don't have children. Yeah, this is. No. Yeah, it's because they're creepy when they do that. <laughs> <laughs> Babysitting a kid once, and she was telling me, like, we were just hanging out. She's like, oh, we gotta hide. I'm like, okay, why? And oh. she's like, because of the man that lives in the walls. Oh, sweet Jesus, no. <laughs> right? <laughs> no. She starts going on, telling me the stories. I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? What, what are you doing out there, little Timothy? Oh, we're going into the corn. Okay, you have fun. <laughs> um, so, people who are... Um, often experiencing this, they will sleep near, say, um, uh, sorry, other people will sleep near people who are experiencing sleep paralysis. And I guess, I guess they will, um, they will like goad this demon to continue to eat. So, like, they will sleep near this person, and when the possession or the sleep paralysis is taking hold, they'll chant, like, Kania, Kania, which is eat, eat, in an attempt to prolong the possession to be able to talk with their dead relative um, or to try and <laughs> ask answers of this I person. don't think the dead relative's the problem you have in that scenario. Right? <laughs> Oh my god. Yeah. Um, and then once the person like wakes up from this situation, the people around them are uh immediately switch from being like, yeah, eat, 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 to cursing and chastising chastising the spirit to make them leave. <laughs> what do you want? We... Now get the fuck out. Yeah. Yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> It's like a, it, it kind of reminds me of a genie kind of scenario. Mm -hmm. A little bit. This is why you came back? No, leave, leave yeah, now. No, get out. You told me where grandma's China is. Now get out. <laughs> uh, in Nigeria, it's just simply considered like the devil on your back. Um, and it's just kind of one of those. Uh, it, it it appears to be like far more common uh, in those areas, and so it's just kind of a thing. <laughs> <laughs> There's not really much much more around it. No, oh, I didn't sleep well last night. The devil was on my bed. Yeah. So the the story itself is more common, or there are actual more people with sleep paralysis. I guess it just seems well. Uh, I think it just seems that maybe sleep paralysis is common and recurrent among people in the area. That is fascinating. Mm -hmm. That would be so crazy. Yeah, it would. Yep. This is, I guess, something's in the water or, oh my gosh, no. <laughs> or it's just on a hell mouth, you know. Or it's on mm -hmm. a hell, yep, there's that. Or it's Cleveland, <laughs> you know, it's fine. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in Turkey, 
sleep paralysis is called Karabasan and is uh it I guess it's similar to they were uh it's similar to stories of demonic visitation during sleep. Um most supernatural beings uh commonly known uh or sorry are commonly seen as like jinn that come to visit uh these victims' rooms and hold him or her down um to not allow any kind of movement. Uh and or strangle the person. And or strangle. Yeah. <clears throat> so they say to get rid of the demonic creature, one needs to pray to Allah by reading the Al-Falak and Al-Nas from the Quran. However, if you're being held down and strangled, I mean, Somebody are you going to be able to do that? Yeah, that seems like a, <laughs> yeah. like a bad, that seems like a bad plan. Mm-hmm. Uh, in some stories, if the person is able to uh, sorry, I guess in some stories, the jinn come wearing a wide, wide hat. And if the person can take that hat, the jinn will become their slave. Well, you're paralyzed. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Chant some <laughs> verse and steal his hat. Right. Right. But also, you can't move. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Uh, in Thailand, they think it's uh, ghosts. And some people claim that even the spirits can cause bruises. Uh, apparently, a lot of there are some uh, these spirits are pretty common in Thai comics. Really oh, interesting. Mm -hmm. There is a whole lot of like weird folklore from all over the world when it comes to sleep paralysis. Um, just a couple that I, a couple more that I'm going to, going to point out. Um, in uh, Chinese culture, uh, it, I believe it's known as Giyashen, uh, which Basically, just translates into ghosts pressing on your body. <laughs> Accurate. Descriptive. It works. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, in Japan, kanashibari, uh, which is to be bound or fastened in metal. Uh, so it's almost like you are locked to the bed, I guess. Um, not a, not in a kinky way, not in a kinky way, obviously, but <laughs> I was like waiting for somebody to say yeah. it. So, so I didn't have to. Okay. <laughs> Thank you for biting that bullet. I appreciate <laughs> it. Anytime. anytime. <laughs> uh, in the Philippines, it's just traditionally attributed to nightmares, which is kind of interesting. Um, people who claim to survive these nightmares Port system uh, symptoms of of sleep paralysis. So, yeah, the oh, 
this one I sh we should definitely uh this one's not so bad it's basically uh in Egypt um it is believed that an evil African queen's ghost is haunting souls hmm. um specific mm-hmm. yep <clears throat> which uh so she's trying to capture before being chased off by guardian spirits oh yeah there's ghost wars going on Ghost Wars. Ghost Wars. Ghost Wars. <laughs> Next in the sci-fi channel. Um, <laughs> what do you mean? That's probably history, okay? Oh, yeah, shit. God, I forgot. Ancient <laughs> Aliens bookended by Ghost Wars. <laughs> in in Greece and Cyprus, uh, ghost-like demons named Mora, uh, Vranus or Varapnus uh, try to steal the victim's speech. Or sit on their chest, causing asphyxiation. So a lot of good, these good. are very like very similar. Mm -hmm. um, come from kind of very similar places. <clears throat> um, so it seems yeah. like cultures across the world does not like waking up in the middle of the night and not being able to move. Yeah, absolutely. That's fair. <laughs> That's fair. So that is sort of like the the cultural sort of mythological aspect of it. Um obviously the reality that we know is uh there is a natural process of falling asleep, uh going into your REM sleep, uh, your dreams are taking start taking place. And your body inhibits movement while you are in this state as a way of protection, basically. So you're not up and around and um, either and, and yeah, you've fallen downstairs. <laughs> she she fell down some stairs, I swear. <laughs> fell, fell down some stairs, killing your husband and or wife, <laughs> you know. All those things that you would do while you're while you're sleepwalking. I was asleep, I swear. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the uh big things that uh obviously that a lot of people um report when this happens is they wake up, um your eyes open and you can't move. Uh, some people have reported seeing like different, like weird shapes or people or ghosts or whatever. Um, a lot of like scientific studies sort of attribute those visions and what people have been seeing to the fact that when you dream, you are you're you're just hallucinating while you sleep right so while you're while you're having a dream you're just sort of having a hallucination so when you wake up and you're sort of having this sleep paralysis that you are kind of sitting in between that waking moment and that moment of sleep still so it's easy for your mind to 
kind of almost blend those two things. So you're still sort of having those waking dream moments. Um, a lot of uh, a lot of their studies, and what they have found is that people who have uh, hereditary sleep disorders, like narcolepsy, have a higher <laughs> chance of um, uh, of suffering sleep paralysis. Um, people who are consistently like who are in high stress situations a lot of the time, uh, chronic anxiety, uh, a lot of these things that would attribute to lack of sleep or sleep deprivation will also in turn impact whether you experience sleep paralysis or not. Interestingly enough, those things will also impact whether sometimes you will sleepwalk or not, which oh, is what Lordy. we were discussing <laughs> earlier. You're just rolling and, the dice at that point. Yeah, really. Well, and and my thought on this is like maybe because I haven't I haven't really looked too much into the um, the sleepwalking side of it, obviously, but I'm thinking maybe they're that like um that like neural inhibitor switch that kind of turns on when you roll into your REM doesn't switch off for some people or it like fails to switch on um because of like stresses and and kind of different things that are that are happening yeah um I mean that obviously that's just a that's just a guess, but it seems to th- seems to track that if if all of these things say yes or no, like are are causing similar sleep conditions, it might make sense. But mm-hmm. yeah, uh, so sleep paralysis, yay. Um. <laughs> still not like completely obviously understood but again uh, one of the things that they did find was lack of sleep high stress uh, a lot of like college students uh, college university students who are um, dealing with heavy course loads and like doing doing the exam grind and doing a lot of that stuff or you know burning the burning the candle at both ends all of the parties all of the time um seem to have experienced sleep paralysis quite often um obviously people with um hereditary issues like narcolepsy like we discussed earlier but yeah um as as interesting as it is it's uh once you kind of pack, unpack it a bit, and you're like, "Oh, well, I guess I probably should probably just de-stress and figure things out a little. I should probably be okay. Sleep a bit more. <laughs> Sleep a bit more. Oh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, there wasn't a, a, a whole heck of a lot on it, but it was interesting to be able to 
to kind of dip into that and and see what I could find. Um, a lot of a lot of what I was looking at and a lot of what I could find on it, a lot of people really wanted to dive into like the folklore as well as the causes of it and sort of bring the science and the and the cultural aspect together. Um, but there wasn't a whole lot of those things, I guess, separated in the little bit of time that I uh, that I've gave myself to search for this. Uh, also, I realized that I forgot my Google search hack that I probably should have used last time. So there's that. <laughs> Your Google search hack? <laughs> yeah, the the scholar.google.com or dot thing. Oh, right. Yeah, fuck. Yep. I forgot about that too. Ah, yes. Yeah. Use that and some Boolean operators, kids. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. There's definitely some stuff that I hadn't heard. Like, I knew a little bit about it, but it's fucking weird. Mm-hmm. Weird. I'm uncomfortable. <laughs> uh, right. Do you want me? You want me to tell you about mine? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, oh God. It was probably I'm trying to think here. Probably like fifteen years ago at this point. Oh, so um, baby Kayla. <laughs> yeah, when I was a baby. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, that was a long time ago. <laughs> um, <laughs> But yeah, no, I was uh, living with my boyfriend at the time, and we had watched a movie that night. And it was a horror movie. Like I like horror movies, so it wasn't like anything that was unusual. I cannot remember the name of this movie. It w- it had uh, Kate Beckinsale in it, and um, the other Wilson brother. Not Owen Wilson, oh. the other one. Mm-hmm. Luke. Yeah, yeah, Luke. And yeah, it was it was it was like a motel thing like they were in a motel and they're being spied on and stuff like that they had to run from the motel owner and shit you know typical horror stuff um and yeah so we went to bed that night and then um in the middle of the night i just woke up and i was just laying there and i the only thing i could like move was my eyes like i could like look across the room and i could it just felt total panic throughout my entire body like felt like you know something's wrong i need to move i need to move and i'm like looking around and like all the shadows look really like freaky and stuff and and it lasted probably for about like two minutes but it was so terrifying i just couldn't move and i was like so sure that something was in the room oh my god couldn't Uh move could say anything you know my boyfriend's laying right there sleeping and i couldn't do anything (laughs) So when you came out of it, was it gradual or did it happen all at once? Uh, gradual. I like I I just remember like slowly being able to actually you know move eventually, and I was like just kind of like rolled over and like ah, I don't want to think about this anymore. Oh no! Oh my god! I mean, it's only ever happened the one time, and it's just like I've watched plenty of horror movies in my life afterwards. I I wasn't really a particularly stressful part of my life, so yeah, I have no idea. Yeah, it uh there they do mention that a person on average will experience one like sleep paralysis at least once in their lives. Oh god. <laughs> Your yeah. time is coming, Allie. No. Also, that, that movie was probably vacancy. 
That was, yep, that was it. <laughs> hey, I know what you're talking about now. Okay. I don't... There's something about that whole sleep paralysis thing that just sets off alarm bells in my hind brain. Like, nope, you're never sleeping again. It's fine. And then that would be the moment that <laughs> it would trigger <laughs> because I didn't sleep for fear of sleep paralysis. And <laughs> irony <laughs> is my friend. Just stress yourself out about sleep paralysis into yeah, sleep paralysis. Done something similar in the past, yeah. <laughs> so it would not be shocking. <laughs> Jeez. Oh my gosh. I'm a completely functional human being, I swear. Mm, all of yeah, us are. All <laughs> of us. We're totally fine, I promise. Yeah. There's, this, this is why we research murder. I was just going to say. <laughs> hey, everyone. Uh, Tobacco smoke enemas. <laughs> I guess a good line to end on. You're welcome. And that's it for this week. Next week, we continue down the road of the Gen Sega with Elliot, another survivor who tells how what was supposed to be a two week stopover in Pennsylvania on his way to a new life became a month long nightmare. Special shout out to Jack Reed, the wonderful musician that created our intro and outro songs. His band, Nix the Scientist, released a new single today on all of your favorite streaming services. So look for DeLorean Sunset wherever you get your tunes. As always, links, sources, and pictures can all be found on our website, thehumanexception.com. To keep up with the latest hex news, follow us on Twitter or Facebook at The Human Exception. And if you have an idea for something that you'd like us to cover, additional information that proves that we're wrong, or even just want to say hi, hit us up on our socials or at thehumanexception at gmail.com. Hope you have a great weekend and we'll talk to you next week. Go away, Craig. Go away, Craig. Go away, Craig. Go away, Craig. Don't like you anymore.